you would, let's turn to our second passages, Ecclesiastes chapter 7. Ecclesiastes chapter 7. And in a moment, I will be reading from verses 2 through 4. Before we uh, open the sermon, let's, let's pray for a moment. Our Father, may the words of my mouth and may the meditations of all our hearts be acceptable in your sight, our Lord, our Rock, and our Redeemer, through Jesus Christ we pray. Amen. Uh, last week, you know, when I've learned something over the years that when Presbytery comes around, it's probably a good idea to break, uh, break away from a normal sermon series because, uh, wow, what a week it is when you go to Presbytery. Um, I used to force myself to write two new sermons, and I learned better than that. Um, so um, I, I, I write sermons from time to time, off and on, in the middle of things. And this is a couple of sermons that I've been thinking of. I talked to my mom last Monday, and I said, uh, I said Mom, how's it going? She said, I just buried five people. And she's 82, and she, she still goes and stands in lines, and she serves all the folks and all the families and all the... She does everything still. And I think when a minister reflects on death, I think a minister gets to cheat. And what I mean by that is I think the minister is in a place where he's forced to think about it more than normal people. Um, when my dad died in 2007, it was like a, like a hurricane. He died on Saturday. We buried him on Tuesday. It was over. On, on Saturday, he died about 8.15, 8.30. At about 10 o'clock, we're at my mom's house. We're figuring out the, the funeral service. The next day, on Sunday, the minister came over to the house and he took copious notes. He was preparing. On Monday night, we had the reception for my dad. And then on Tuesday at 10 o'clock, I did the graveside service. And then about 11.30, we had a reception at First Baptist Church, Tyler. They took us from the reception into the auditorium for my dad's funeral. We had men who drove in from different parts of Texas, and uh, we had a, a wonderful time. One of my my uh, youth minister, I mean, not my youth minister, but my uh, choir director was there. He he was he was there for that, and so it was all over though three days. So when I got to California. I went and spent time in a hospital room with a 37-year-old man. Tried to share the gospel with him. And uh, he didn't want to talk about those things. So I sat with his mother. He eventually died. I went over to her house. I said, oh, when are we going to do the funeral? I'm expecting a Texas funeral back in those days. Uh, three days later. She said, oh, no, no. It's going to be about two weeks. So I took a, a shrug. Uh, because usually, you know, you're preparing another sermon in three days. And you're trying to think about this person and what you're about to do. And unless, so in, in that, that kind of mentality is also carried over into Texas nowadays. We don't go and get people, please forgive the, 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 the statement, in the ground that fast. We do take more time. But one of the things I think that a minister does is he's, with a person and their family before they die. So he's thinking about it. He's with them, the family, when that loved one dies. 
And then after that, he goes over to their home and he spends time with them and figures out an order of service. We go through a welcome. We go through the eulogy. Do I need to write the eulogy? Or will somebody in the family write the eulogy? I've done the whole thing before when people can't do any of it. Uh, we talk about the music. We talk about the scriptures they want read. We talk about who's going to stand up and share some testimonies and who's not. We talk about how they want this done. And so the point is, is while the minister's doing all his ordinary work, getting ready for Sunday sermons, he every night when, when the kids are away, or I sneak out somewhere with my Bible open and begin to write down and do a sermon. And so I'm glad sometimes when it doesn't happen for a couple of weeks. But death is always in front of the minister. It's in front of his eyes before the person dies. It's on his mind when the person dies. He sits down with somebody, writes out their funeral service. He preaches the funeral service. After it's over, he goes to their house and he hangs out with them and gives them comfort. And so after many, many funerals, I would say to you, I probably have about two years worth of weeks of thinking about death. It's part of the job. And the preacher here in Ecclesiastes, in Ecclesiastes 7, 2 through 4, he says, it's not just the wisdom of the preacher to think about death. He says it's your wisdom to think about death. Look at verse 2. Kohalath, or the preacher, says this, It is better to go to a house of mourning than to go to a house of feasting, because that is the end of every man. And the living takes it to heart. Sorrow is better than laughter, for when a face is sad, a heart may be happy. The mind of the wise is in the house of mourning, while the mind of fools is in the house of pleasure. The Word of the Lord. The first point that I want to bring to your attention is taking death to heart. The living take it to heart. The living take it to heart. Most people don't want to take this topic and think about it at all. I mean, are you, are you serious? <laughs> I mean, I'd rather have somebody drill a hole in my head and then talk about this stuff. You've got to be kidding me. I would rather go to the house of feasting. I'd rather go to the house of, of fun and laughter than to ever think about this. Are you not, as the Gladiator movie said, are you not entertained? That's what people want. People want to be entertained. And for some reason, we've, we've figured out a way to avoid it. Now, personally, I think it sometimes just happens this way. I remember my dad in 1998, we are getting ready to go to Lake Caddo. We've been going to this lake for 35 years to go to a family reunion. I always love it. I, 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 I can tell you every piece and part of it. My aunt is out there with my uncle. They're getting ready for it. And my aunt, my uncle died. I mean, my aunt died. She was care flighted to the hospital. My mom and dad went over there. And then we had the funeral. It was over. It was kind of like that three-day thing. And so it was all over. A few days later, my daddy, he, I, my dad never drove over to my house. My dad never drove over to my house. <laughs> I always walked to my dad's house. I always, he lived about three miles from us at one point in time. And so my dad's at my house, and I don't understand. And Lori walked up to another room, and I looked at my dad, and I could tell he's kind of teary-eyed. And I said, what's going on? And he said, you know, I, I said, are you, are you kind of? Trembling about Aunt Carol. He said, yeah. 
I said, did you go into the emergency room? Yeah. I said, did you see her? And he said, yeah. I said, so this is the first time you've seen somebody dead without makeup on. It's not the same. And my dad, my dad's 59 years old. My dad has three degrees. He's taught, he's gone hunting, he knows about blood, he knows about cutting things open. He knows all this stuff. He knows how to get, you know, clean up fish. He knows how to take care of little kids. And he doesn't understand death very well. At 59. I probably had more experience at age 38 at that moment than he did at age 59. Maybe it wasn't his fault necessarily because I think our culture moves us away from thinking about dying. Think about it. The church and the cemetery used to be side by side. When you went to church, when you went to worship, and you passed by a cemetery. With cem there's all those gravestones and all the rest. And you may have laid your mom to rest there right before the week before, and you're walking into the building to worship. There's death right there, right beside the church. But now it's not the same way today. Our churches are separated from cemeteries. And I think death has been compartmentalized from our lives today. And today the norm is death is separated from life. And some of us, when somebody dies, there are people you all of us can say, there's a person who doesn't even go to the funeral. And then there are those people who will take care of everything three or four days, and they'll try to get back to normal. And they'll say, I've got to get back to normal. Folks, let me say this, and this is another sermon. There's no normal after somebody dies that you love. It, it's not normal. You live, you hold on to God, and you hold on to the people of God, but it's not going to be normal. Nothing's normal when we lose someone so close to us. But we learn to suffer. And it's part of living well for us to learn to mourn. And that's what we're being told. We're being told to date death to heart. And we see the second point this morning is this. The wise man takes death to heart. Four points under this second point is this. Going to the house of mourning. Understanding that going to the house of mourning is better and why. Calculating and being wise after we go there. And finally, not playing the fool. Those are the four points under this heading. Going to the house. Understanding that seeing this and going through this, it's better. And calculating and not playing the fool. Well, let's talk about it. Taking death to heart means going. It's better to go. The man who goes to the house of mourning, he's, he's learning wisdom. But when you do this, it's not going to be easy on you. It's going to be awkward. It's going to be difficult. You're going to have to go to a place where they're having a funeral. And it may be, it may be at a funeral home. It may be at a church like we did for Steve Crutchfield. It was at Sanctuary Fellowship. It's going to mean going to a place where people are crying. It's going to be going, and when your kids are in the car with you, it means you're going to have to answer difficult sometimes questions. But you are going and you are doing this. It means you're going to have to see a casket and a picture of the deceased and possibly an urn. We can talk about that later. It may, it's going to mean many different things. It may mean going to a graveside and seeing a hole where that casket will be placed. It's going to mean standing among many people who have already gone on to be uh, to their future destinations. 
I read recently about Near Eastern monasteries where monks were literally, once they died, they were taken off and buried on the property. And later on, several years later, they would go and, and retake the bodies back up with just the bones. They'd clean the bones up and they would put the skulls in front of all the monks and all those who come to visit the monastery so that they can say, this is where everybody's going. Just like a casket, just like the cemetery, just like an urn reminding us, it's not, they, they don't consider it morbid. They just consider it, this is real, this is reality, this is our end. Now, just by the way, in passing, uh, when you go to a house of mourning, you don't have to say anything. Maybe I ought to say that again. When you go to a house of mourning, you don't have to say anything. In fact, the best thing you can do, as one of our men always says, is just show up. Right, Dwight? Just show up. You show up. You're present. And what are you doing there? You just don't have to say anything. It's the wisest thing that I think I've ever learned. Just stay quiet when you go visit somebody who's weeping. You can learn from Job's friends. They didn't make any mistakes for seven days. They just sat there with the man who was weeping and mourning and scraping the sores off of his body. And they made all kinds of mistakes when they started talking. Offer help to them. Can I get you something to eat? Can I get you some, something to drink? Number two, after we, as we look at taking death to heart, it means understanding. Going and understanding. You know, it's lawful for us to go to both the house of mourning and the house of feasting. And Jesus did both of these. More on the happy side, Jesus goes to a wedding in Cana of Galilee, and Mary comes up and says, Hey, hey, Jesus, the, the wine is run out. And Jesus goes over, and depending on how you read it, 150 or 180 gallons of water are over there for Jewish purification purposes. He turns it into the best tasting wine the world's ever, ever tasted. And the party was great. Jesus in Matthew chapter 9, He calls uh, Matthew to, to leave His tax booth and to follow Him, and He does. And you know what, what the next thing we read is? Matthew has a party. He invites Jesus to His party. Jesus is invited to a party with Matthew and all His sinning friends, and Jesus is there with them. On the other hand, we have to assume that Jesus buried His own Father. Somewhere after we see Joseph in that when he's 12 years old. Somewhere in there between 12 and 30, Joseph died and Jesus knows about death. Jesus went to the tomb of Lazarus and He wept with Mary and Martha. Jesus was full of rage at death there. That's another sermon. We listen about how Jesus paid attention to John the Baptist's disciples telling Him all about the death of their leader, to Herod Antipas. Jesus was sobered. He took death to heart. So today, if you think about a funeral, we need to go to it. We need to understand. There's not many lessons to learn when you go to a feast. But there's a lot of lessons we learn when we sit quietly. It's like going to school, one commentator said, when we go and we sit at a funeral. And one of the things we learn is that death is every man, is, is the end of every man. Death makes me think about my death. Death makes me think about my life. And so right now, I want you to think about it. You're doing something hard just to sit through the sermon. Right? Do you really want to think about this? I don't. 
I don't. But you know what? Those, the, remember when you first got married, guys, and you go in, you sit down, and you have to talk about stuff you don't want to talk about with insurance people? That, there's those, those times when you sit down and you have to talk about stuff you don't want to talk about. Well, we need to talk about these things beforehand so that we're ready at that time. If you're listening to me, you're doing something difficult. This is our end. The author of Ecclesiastes says this. He says, there is a time to give birth and there's a time to die. The author of Hebrews writes in chapter 9, verse 27, It is appointed unto man to die once. Remember the cemetery. Remember the gravestones. Remember the skulls and the bones that the monks lay out in front of everybody. This is our end. In our mind, we need to go there this morning and we need to say to ourselves, and this is hard, this is what we have to do though, this is what we say. This day's coming for me. I'm standing up here and I'm saying, this day's coming for me. And I will be the one in the box. And I'm going to be, I'm, I'm not going to be there for my wife. I'm not going to be there for my kids. I'm not going to take them out to eat afterwards. I'm not going to put my arms around them and make it all better. I'm not going to be the one doing it. It's some serious thinking. I'm the one lying there. And I'm the one not there to take care of my family anymore. I can't fix it anymore as much as I'm as a man. And we like to fix things as much as we like to. I'm not going to be able to do it again. There's plenty of time to be diverted. There's plenty of time for amusement. But right now, let's do this hard thing. Let's take it in. Third, taking death to heart means calculating. Well, wisdom is this, and I've said this to you before, and I hope you memorize this illustration. I want you to go out, and I want you to look at the hole six feet down. That's out there in the future, and I want you to walk back to this present moment, and I want you to think about, hey, that hole's out there, and how am I going to get there safely? How am I going to get to this point safely? How, am I ready to meet this God before whom I walk every single day? Am I living a silly life in a trivial life or am I serious and sober in this life? And so as we calculate, it's our wisdom to ask, do I need to reorder my life? Do I need to change some of my priorities? Do I need to change all of my priorities? Am I leaving something undone? Am I procrastinating? Here's the first application. Am I ready to meet God? Every Sunday, if your minister's worth two cents, he's preaching something. He's preaching life, death, burial, and resurrection. Who is that about? He's talking about a funeral every week. He's talking about somebody who comes to die every single week. Jesus came, and yes, there's a lot of feasting, a lot of joy, but Jesus came, and you know why He came. You can go read the Gospels. It says all the way through there, I came to die. I came for a funeral. I came to die for sinners. And you and I, when we read, I read that just a minute ago, Hebrews 9.27, it's appointed unto man to die once. I didn't read the second part. Then, to face God in the judgment. Jesus came to die for sinners and their sins. And you and I, we need to be saved because of our sin. Judgment is coming because of our sin. And in one of the one man wrote in, the, in his commentary, he said, There's, there are men who listen to thousands of sermons and walk away unsobered every week. 
There are men who listen to life and death and burial and resurrection and they walk away unsobered by it every week and then somebody in their family has the audacity to die. Screw up my schedule. I'm running. I'm going fast. I'm getting up every morning. I'm, I'm, don't you love your ritual in the morning? I love my ritual every morning. I get up, not five, sometimes at five, but most of the time about five till six and I get my coffee going and I get my coffee going and I'm listening to the Bible and I'm sitting there and I'm reading and I'm studying when nobody's up because these guys, they don't get up that early and I'm by myself and I love, you have your routine, I have my routine, don't you love it? And then you go through the day and then you go and you work and you work hard and you're tired and you come home and you see your wife and get some kisses and some hugs and then you go for some diversion and you do it over and over again and then all of a sudden somebody dies. It messes my schedule up. You've heard thousands of sermons and somebody dies and then you go and you try to understand and you begin to calculate, am I ready for this? Right? And so I've heard thousands of sermons and all of a sudden what a sermon never did, this funeral will do. Force me to realize I've got to either be cut off before God or I will be in God's presence because Jesus was cut off from me. Which will it be? Sermon after sermon, life, death, burial, and resurrection. And now I come in front of this sermon, this funeral, and I'm realizing that I need a Savior. We had two sermons on Isaiah 53, 4 through 6 a few weeks ago. Have you painted yourself into that picture before the cross? Can you say, this man was struck down for my sins? This man was struck down for my transgressions. This man received a stroke that was due to me. If you can paint yourself in the picture and you call Him your Savior, your sins are forgiven and you don't fall into the hands of a, in the wrath of an angry God. Well, let's look at something more positive. Am I ready to reorder my life? You say me, preacher Mark, you say, you know what, I understand. I've gone and I'm going. I'm understanding and I'm calculating and I'm not going to play the fool. And I know that I'm going to be standing before God as is sort of trembling as that sounds before this awesome consuming fire. I'm in Christ. I won't be condemned. But even as we think about these things, don't we need to consider our lives and our priorities? I told some of you uh, months ago there was a young man. I married this man and his his uh, wife. Now they're a family of four and. And he, he texted me. He told me, he said, he said, Pastor Mark, would you please call my wife? I texted him back. I said, yeah. So what's going on? I mean, I called him. He said, well, you know, she's got type 1 diabetes and she, she took her medication inappropriately. First time in the, all these years. This gal has, you know, they have so many wonderful genius uh, inventions and the medicines and you can just manage type 1 diabetes and live a normal life just about like anybody else but she by mistake took her medicine inappropriately she called poison control which they teach you to do and they immediately told her to go to the emergency room so she got both her babies put them in you know back in this is back in almond country so uh in that big truck everybody's got a big truck so they put the babies in the back. They got in the front. They went straight to the hospital emergency room, called the parents in their big truck. They come over and pick up the babies, and they take them home, and they sit there in the hospital for five hours. 
She's under observation. Nothing happened. It was really okay. It was all good. But three days later, after a good night's sleep, three days later, she's kind of terrified. She's dealing with her mortality. This is a 30-year-old gal. And she's saying, Pastor Mark, I could have died. What about my husband? What about my children? What about my funeral? And instead of saying, okay, let's think happy thoughts, I directed her to, to Ecclesiastes 7.2. I said, listen, here's what I want to say to you as I walk on my walk out there in that retention area where my alligator friends are and my dear friends are. It is better to go into a house of mourning than to go into a house of laughter. I said, let's maximize this time in our life. Let's take this occasion and let's think about hard things for a little while. And so I challenged her. I told her, it's a good idea to get along with your Bible. It's a good idea to get along with your Bible on a piece of paper and think about these things. What about my priorities? It's a good idea to sit down and talk to your husband and tell him your feelings and tell him your fears. And if you want to talk to your parents and his parents, that's up to you. But at least talk to God and at least talk to your husband. I told her to draw near to God in ways she never thought of. That's what I would say to every one of us today. You draw near to God in ways you've never done before. I told her, I said, listen, every time you feed your kids, every time you do the prayer times of prayer, I said, do more than you've done. Read the Psalms to your kids. Well, they don't understand anything. They're so young. It doesn't matter. Just read the Bible to them. They'll get it. They'll start putting it together. Love your husband more than you've ever loved him. This is what I'd say to you. This is what I'm saying to myself. Think about it. Think about your funeral. Put it on a piece of paper. Some of the best funerals I've done have been the ones where the people wrote their script for me while they're in the hospital. Don't worry. There's plenty of time to think happy thoughts. Use this as a time to evaluate your life. Can I improve in my priorities? Can I replace one thing with something else? And then this is what I said. Go live 60 more years. <laughs> Go live! Think about this stuff. We go, we understand, we calculate, and then we go out and we live to the glory of God. We go out and whether we, whether we eat or drink or whatever we do, we do all to the glory of God. We draw near to God and we draw near to God's people. We give ourselves to God and we give ourselves away to other people. We live. And this is what real living is. Verse 3 says, Sorrow is better than laughter. For when a, faith is, when a face is sad, a heart may be happy. That's what real living is. It's, it's when our faces are sad, but on the inside there's happiness. It's realizing that the King is in residence in my heart no matter what the trial is. No matter what my face looks like, I know Jesus Christ is Lord. I'm sitting there and I, I told, I'm going I'm to give you all a fuller version. I think I said something about this at the Lord's Supper. But we were at the graveside service for the crutch for, for Steve Crutchfield and they had, you know, they had the little tent and the whole thing's all done and, and it's burning hot. I never, I, I, my whole suit was wet. I did the normal greeting, scripture reading, prayers, committal. And then they took the pallbearers, wheeled the casket down to the plot. Randy was there. 
And it's just molten lava hot. And the, the women go over. Linda Crutchfield with her girls goes over. They put their hands on the casket. And they're sitting there. They're crying. And then I could tell. I'm telling you. I knew that Linda wanted a flower off the arrangement that was on top of the casket. So one of the girls pulls out some, some scissors. And she's trying to cut a flower off that arrangement. And that flower arrangement is winning. She is losing. And then finally, all of a sudden, you see Linda start just burst out laughing. And see, that's what we're talking about here. Linda is sad. She's lost the love of her life, but she's okay. She can still laugh. Jesus is in residence in his side here. Jesus rules and reigns. Jesus is the one who said, Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Jesus is the one who says, Blessed are those who weep now, for they shall laugh. Jesus rules and reigns even in these times. And death is not the end. Well, let me end with this. Taking death to heart means not playing the fool. Verse 4 is just a repeat of verse 2. The man, the mind of the wise, is in the house of mourning, while the mind of the fool is in the house of pleasure. Blaise Pascal, he's a mathematician in the 1600s, among other things, philosopher. This is what he asked. Listen to this question. Why does the king have a jester in his court? You with me? Why does the king, maybe we should say, why does the king have a TV in his house? Why does the king have a jester in his court? Here's a man who's the king. Here's a man who's secure. Here's a man who's got everything he could ever want, but he's got a joker in his house. Here's his answer. When I have occasionally set myself to consider the different distractions of men, the pains and perils to which they expose themselves at court or in war, whence arise so many quarrels, passions, bold and often bad ventures, I have discovered that all the unhappiness of men arises from one single fact. What is it? What is it? That they cannot stay quietly in their own chamber. Let me, don't lose it that they cannot sit in their own house in their own room by themselves. Why does the king need a jester? Why does he need a funny man in the court? Because he hasn't mastered the ability to go and sit alone and calculate and understand that death is coming. He doesn't want to have anything serious in his mind. He wants a joker to keep, to keep him distracted. We could say we need to be careful, again, with a phone, swiping things, looking at things, clicking on things, things that keep us distracted from any serious thought at all, just like the king. Death is coming. End is coming. And a fool is not ready. Years ago, in 1985, Neil Postman wrote a book, Amusing Ourselves to Death. Why did he write it? Because men are abusing themselves to death. I like a jester. I like amusement. I like watching shows on TV. But don't let these things, don't let relaxation be all that you're about. Do this hard thing. Sit down and think about the fact that eternity is long and your life is short and you need to be ready to meet God. Amusement. And entertainment can be compared to verse 6 here. In verse 6 it talks about uh, thorns that are used to heat up water. 
Thorns back in, in, in the ancient times were really dry. Think about thorns, they're dry. And you could light them up and they get really hot really fast. They burn really hot. They're really loud. There's great pops and there's lots of sparks. And then they're gone. And that's what laughter is. Distraction is something that is there and gone. And we do not need to play the fool. I must make sure that my house is in order. I must make sure that my eternity is ready. I'm ready to meet God. And if I say to myself, I do not have a relationship with God. Yes, everybody does. Every single person does. And if you don't have a good relationship with God, there's one way that you can. And that's through Jesus Christ. I must depart from my comedians. I must depart from my jesters and let this occasion, this time, be the starting point of something serious and sober. Take death to heart. Take hold of Jesus Christ. This is your wisdom to do so. This is the beginning of living the life God wants us to live. Go out and do what we said. Go. Understand. Calculate. Don't be a fool. But in the end, go out and do and live. Live. Live for the glory of God. Live and enjoy Him. Let it be all that you're about. Love your, love your mom. Love your dad. Love the people in this church. And go out and do God's will. Well, let's pray. Father, thank You for this opportunity to look in Your Word.